It's good to see y'all in the house of the Lord today. If I'm going to make this as easy on you as I possibly can, turn to the 29th chapter of Genesis. Genesis, the 29th chapter. Now, really in order for me to do this sermon justice, I need to read about three or four chapters here in the book of Genesis. But I'm not going to do that because I don't want to bore y'all to tears. So I'm just going to read, and I'm really going to read quite a few verses, but then we're going to be flipping back through uh, Genesis a little bit and, and looking at some other, other parts of the story. That way I don't have to read all of it. So uh, in Genesis, I want you to look in the 29th chapter, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 15. This is going to be a very familiar story to you, I think. Genesis, the 29th chapter, verse 15. Y'all there, amen? amen? I hope so. And Laban said unto Jacob, Because thou art my brother, shouldest thou therefore serve me for naught. That word naught means nothing. Tell me, what shall thy wages be? And Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah. And the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah was tender-eyed, or she had real soft eyes, very delicate eyes. But Rachel was beautiful and well-favored, or she was beautiful of form and appearance. And Jacob loved Rachel and said, I will serve thee seven years for Rachel thy younger daughter. And Laban said, It is better that I give her to thee then that I should give her to another man, abide with me. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed unto him but a few days for the love he had to her, or because of the love he had for her. And Jacob said unto Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go in unto her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. And it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to him, and he went in unto her. And Laban gave, her, gave unto his daughter Leah Zilpha, 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 his maid, for a handmaid. And it came to pass that in the morning, behold, it was Leah, and he said to Laban, What is this thou hast done unto me? Did I not serve thee for Rachel? Wherefore then hast thou beguiled me? That word beguiled means deceived. Now, I'm going to stop there for just a second and I'm going to interject something. You know, I find this kind of ironic, Jacob saying, why have you done this to me? Knowing that if you recall the story of Jacob, and his twin brother Esau, you remember, Jacob was clinging to Esau's heel when they were born. And if you remember, he cheated him or deceived him out of his blessing and his birthright. So, you know, it's kind of ironic that it was okay for him to do that, but now it's been done to him and the shoe's on the other foot and he don't think it's quite as much fun. So now, let's continue on. Verse 26, And Laban said, It must not be so done in our country or our place to give the younger before the firstborn. 
Fulfill her week, and we will give thee this also for the service which thou hast served, which thou shalt serve with me yet seven other years. And Jacob did so and fulfilled her week, and he gave him Rachel, his daughter, to wife also, or as wife. And Laban gave to Rachel, his daughter, Bilhah, his handmaid, to be her maid. And he, Jacob, went in also unto Rachel, and he loved also Rachel more than Leah, and served with him yet seven other years. Now, as I said, keep your Bibles open here to Genesis, because we're going to be looking at some other scripture here in a minute. Let me visit with you today about what happens when we don't trust God. What happens when we fail to trust God? Now, it's my examination that in the content of these verses that we just read, that 15 through 30, it conveys to me the conviction that this man Jacob had a problem when it came to trusting God. Now, the reason I say that, and you can back up and turn to chapter 27 if you want to in Genesis, and you will see there in chapter 27 the basis for my conclusion as to the facts about Jacob and why he had trouble trusting God. Because it was Jacob, along with his mother, that conspired together, they schemed together, or both tricked not only Esau, but Jacob and Esau's father, Isaac. And what they did, they cheated Esau out of his birthright. They cheated Esau out of his blessing. And the consequences for what he did put Jacob's life at risk because what he did to Esau, Esau got so mad that he wanted to kill him. He told his mother, I'm going to kill him. That sorrow scoundrel cheated me out of my blessing, out of my firstborn. And I mean, that was a big deal, folks. That was a big deal. So he's on the run. And in his own mother, if you're looking in chapter 27, you will see that it is, it is his mother who says, go to Laban. Laban was her brother, his uncle. Go to Laban. And there you'll be okay. But this is what jumped out at me about this situation. Even in this flight, because of the consequences of his actions, the Lord, through His infinite mercy, gives him an unconditional promise of His endless presence and protection through this journey and brings him safely to Laban, the home of his uncle. And even now, something else that jumps out at me is that even now, Jacob is still trying to do things the way he wants them. In other words, he, he is still trying to outthink. He's still trying to con. He's still trying to scam and use tricks to get what he wanted. Now, I don't know how you feel about this, this, this matter. 
But to me, Jacob was a man that had a serious problem with trusting God. He was a man who had serious problems coming to grips with the fact that God had a plan that covered his life. Now, this is what I'm talking about. And he didn't understand God not only had planned, but God had provided the provisions for all of his needs since day one of his birth until day last of his death. Obviously, he did not believe that God was totally reliable. He did not believe that God was completely trustworthy. And, and you know, the thing about it was he was part of the grand scheme. He was part of that covenant that God made with his grandfather, Abraham. You remember there was Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. This was the beginning founding fathers of the Israeli nation is what it was. And, 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 you know, all God wanted was the best for him. But what did Jacob do? Jacob only trusted in himself. He only trusted in himself. He always held something back in reserve. He always had a backup plan. In other words, he trusted no one but himself. Now, I want to prove that to you. I want you to flip to Genesis, the tw I want you to flip to the 28th chapter. Let, let me show you here something real quick. Okay. Y'all in the 28th chapter? Now, if you look, I don't know about y'all's Bible, but if you look at, at starting in verse 10, my, my, my Bible has a subtitle, Jacob's Dream. Do y'all remember Jacob's dream? You remember he saw a ladder and it went from earth all the way to heaven and it says that angels ascended and descended up and down this ladder. And standing up at the top of the ladder in heaven was God. Look in verse 15. This is what God says to Jacob in this dream. Y'all there? And behold, I am with thee and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. You remember last week we talked about going and claiming your mountain. And I told you that when God makes you a promise, that you don't have to worry about anything, that you just keep on living because nothing's going to happen to you until that promise is fulfilled. Why? Because God doesn't make a promise He does not fulfill. Look at what He is telling Jacob there in verse 15. That is a promise to him. And then, now, I, I want you to look in verse 20. This is Jacob's covenant, Jacob's vow with God. And Jacob vowed a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace, 
Then shall the Lord be my God. Does anything jump out at you there? Now, I want you to think about this. Now, now, now look here. You see, this to me speaks volumes about why Jacob had trouble trusting God. You notice there in those two verses, he says, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go. But, but what he obviously didn't know is that God was with him and did, did keep him. Because look what he says after that. He says, and if God will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, again, actually God did give him food. God give him clothing. So then he goes on to say, so that I come to my Father's house again in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. Now look at this. Look, look at what this guy is saying here. You know, look what he is declaring. You know, he, he is saying that he would not trust God until God had solved all of his problems and, 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 and provided for all of his needs. Now the reason that I point that out to you is to tell you this. Folks, we sometimes have these same tendencies. We will hold out on God until He meets all of our needs. Till He meets all of our demands. You know, and this is kind of the way, this is the position of our trust, how it goes sometimes. Lord, if You will give me a good paying job, and certainly provide me a brand new car. I can't have one of those used ones. That, that's not good enough. I need a brand new car. And if you'll provide me with a really rich husband or a really good looking wife, and you'll strengthen up my boat bank account, make it a big one, supersize it, and, and if you'll... You'll save my children, all of them, then I will serve you. You see, we, we sometimes act if God needs us because we are so valuable to Him. That's the way we act. You know, we act as if God would be blessed to have us. When in reality, we have missed the fact that God don't need us. We need Him. And I firmly believe that if we ever needed God, it is in this time that we live right now. And, and, and this is the thing. When, when we try to wheel and deal with God, and that kind of looks like what Jacob was doing, in his vow, it looks like he was trying to bargain with God, just like, well, you perform for me, God, and I'll give you a tip. That, that's the way, you know. And that's kind of what, what we want to try to do. And, and this is the reason why we're always in a hurry. 
We're always in a panic mode. You know, we want to we want God to be like the microwave oven. You know, we want God to just hurry up. We can't wait. You're in rust status. Everything is of utmost importance. It is urgent that we get this right now. And what Jacob is saying is if God will fulfill my checklist, then I'll trust Him. Well, that leads me to a whole series of questions. Because my first question is, what was Jacob doing while God was guiding him, guarding him, providing for him all this time? It seems to me that Jacob wanted a relationship with God, but he wanted that relationship to be one-sided. In other words, God was going to do all the giving, and Jacob was going to do all the receiving, or all of the taking. And we have to understand, going back to those verses we read there, 20 and 21, there in chapter 28, that's a covenant. That was a covenant that Jacob made with God. It was a contract. It was an agreement. And, and, and it was a bond based on relationship with God. You know, Jacob wanted God to enter into this relationship with him while he remained neutral. He, and, and he was not going to depend on God until God moved and did, you know, God moved in the way He wanted Him to move, and God did what He wanted Him to do. Well, that brings me to another whole series of questions. And this kind of comes from, from our text that we read today. What do we do when we fail to trust God? What do we do when we fail to take God at His word? What do we do when we fail to rely on the presence of God's goodness in our life? And my real question to you today is, how in the world do you think you're going to make it on your own? How can you do that? So let me suggest that there's a number of things that we will do when we have a problem trusting God. And the first thing is this. When we fail to trust God, the first thing we will do, we will begin to serve a human master. Now, you're probably sitting there thinking, oh, no, I will not. I'm my own person. I do what I want to when I want to. How I want to. You don't think it's true? Go to, chap- go to verse 15 of our text. Look at chapter 29. Look at verse 15. Y'all got it? Look what the first thing Jacob did. Verse 15. This is because he would not serve God. He had to serve a human master. Verse 15 says, Laban says to Jacob, Because you are my brother, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? 
The fact of the matter is this. That is exactly the reason Jacob left home so abruptly in the first place. Because he wanted to be served instead of serving Esau, his older brother, or Isaac, his father. So he came here to Laban's house in Haran to be served and to have a sense of safety and to find himself a wife. So when Laban brought up this matter of serving him, what do you think Jacob thought about that? I'm sure that he was... It's kind of like sticking that pen in that proverbial balloon. I I assume he was somewhat deflated. His ego was somewhat blown away. And I believe that it stemmed from the fact that Jacob did not understand the promise of the blessing. I want you to go to Genesis the 25th chapter and look in verse 23. Flip back, Genesis 25, verse 23. I'll give you just a second to get there because what we're going to look at is the last part of verse 23. And this this was the promise of of the blessing. Y'all got it? Amen? Okay, look at that latter part. And I may not say it exactly the way it says in your Bible, but it says, the elder shall serve the younger. Do you get that? The elder shall serve the younger. Who's the younger? Jacob. Esau was going to serve Jacob, not the other way around. You see, Jacob thought he was going to serve Esau because Esau was the older. And you notice that God did not specify when the elder would serve the younger. So I think that... that, uh, uh, Jacob took it for granted this, this, that, that the time factor was unimportant. That it just really didn't matter. So according to the seasons of our soils, let me say this. There are times that we don't understand the will of God. There are times we don't understand the Word of God. And because we don't understand spiritual things the way that we ought to, what do we do? We start looking at things from a fleshly uh, point of view instead of looking at things from God's standpoint. And and when we do that, that's a mistake because... The promises of God has a due date. And Jacob had a problem with that. We have a problem with that because we have this problem today. We have this disdain for submission. We have a problem with waiting on God to move on our behalf. You remember what I told you all ago? We're always in a hurry. We're always wanting God to hurry up. We're always thinking He's like a microwave oven. Well, we want to see without the service. You know, we want we want the praise without the pain. We want the glory without the gloom. We want the title without the tension. We want the position without the performance, and we want the crown without the cross. Now, I've got to tell you all something this evening. And what I want to tell you this evening, that the way to greatness is through service. 
This is how Jesus said it. Whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be the first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give His life a ransom for many. But that's a problem today. Why is that a problem today? Because people don't want to start at the bottom and work their way to the top. We want to start out as the boss. We want to be the one that is... uh, you know, barking out the orders. In other words, we want to bypass that period of preparation and training. We want, we want to come in giving orders and to just keep on giving orders instead of taking orders. Well, let me just drop this in your spirit this evening. When a husband does not submit to the lordship of God, his wife is not going to submit to his leadership and his children are not going to uh, respect his headship. So what do you wind up with? You wind up with a house full of lords and no servants. And the problem with that is this. You think, well, but ain't no big deal. Yes, it is because it don't stay in the house. It goes out into the community. It goes into our job, our business, our schools. Uh, I mean, it goes everywhere and it finally winds up where? In the church and no one wants to serve. You see, when we fail to submit to God, we will submit to a human master. And when we submit to human masters, we will never be treated fairly and we will always be treated less than what we really are. And that's the tragedy of it all. Because we are too proud to trust God and that's when we fall into the crafty hands of schemers. In other words, if we don't trust God, we fall in the hands of Laban. And what does Laban say? Laban says, oh yes, you're going to serve me. That's what you're going to do, Jacob. You're going to serve me. When we don't trust God, there are wages to be paid for our failures. When we don't trust God, we are paid cheap. We are at the mercy of whoever we are working for, this human master. We work long hours for little pay. We're treated like dirt. When we don't trust God, we don't respect the firstborn, just like Jacob. And I want you to understand that in this time that we're talking about, in this culture that we were talking about, that was very important because the firstborn had the right to claim his parents' inheritance, their possession, their everything. That's what they, they had the, the rights and the privileges to do. And, and they had the right of the family blessing and even had the right to be given in marriage first, which we read in our text today because the bloodline, the name, the inheritance went through the firstborn. So let me show you something. Look in verse 26 of our text. Chapter 29. Look in verse 26. Now this is going to be different what your Bible says. I'm just kind of paraphrasing. But this is Laban talking to Jacob. And he's basically saying, I'm not going to let you disrespect my daughter. 
I'm not going to let you disrespect my family, my culture, and our tradition. We don't do that here in this place. And he goes on to say, we don't give the younger in marriage before the firstborn. In other words, if you want the younger daughter, Rachel, you're going to have to marry the oldest daughter, Leah, first. That's what he tells him. And my question is this. Now, now, you remember he says, why did you beguile me? Why are you deceiving me? But let me ask you this. How many times, how many times have we had to settle for what we don't want because we were not patient to wait on God? Boy, y'all are looking at me awful serious. I got to loosen y'all up a bit. Preacher always got stories. And I've got a story for you. This is a story about a pastor that came to a church and he'd been there for a while. And he had gotten to the point where he kind of learned the protocol of the church, you know. Churches have a tendency nowadays of doing certain things a certain way. And if you come into that church and you try to rock the boat, brother, you got problems. You just don't do that. We've been doing it this way for 45 years. Heaven forbid we change now. But anyway, he decided that he, he understood enough that he was going to start going out and visiting the sick in the hospital. And some of the, the older, let's call them elders or deacons in the church, told him, maybe you ought not to do that just yet. You're not quite ready. But he thought he was. So he went out. And he found out that Sister Williams was in the hospital. And he went to see Sister Williams. Well, when he got into the room, Sister Williams wasn't there. And he asked the nurse, where is Sister Williams? Well, she had to go down and have some x-rays taken. We're still running tests, trying to figure out what's wrong with her. Well, in his lack of patience in waiting on Sister Williams, he looked over on her table tray there, and he saw a bunch of peanuts. And he reached and he got him a handful of those peanuts and started eating those peanuts because he was hungry. Well, Sister Williams comes back in. Oh, Pastor, it's so good to see you. Oh, Sister Williams, I'm so glad that I came to visit you. I heard your name on the sick list and the shut-ins. I knew I needed to come see you and pray for you. It's so good to see you. But and while I was waiting for you, I got kind of hungry, so I got a handful of peanuts. I hope you don't mind. Now, one of the first things I learned as a pastor is you don't ever eat off the tray of the person that's in bed in the hospital. But he did. He said, I grabbed a handful of your peanuts. You don't mind? And she said, oh, no, I don't mind. Since I've been in here, my husband brings me chocolate-covered peanuts, and I suck the chocolate off, and I leave the peanuts in there. No, I don't mind at all. You see, he had no patience. And what did he do? He settled for what he didn't want. How many times have we done that? How many times have we been in Jacob's shoes?
because he couldn't wait on God. He wasn't moving fast enough for us. You see, Jacob had to learn the respect of the rights of the firstborn. He disregarded the rights of the firstborn in condition with his brother Esau. So that which he had ignored concerning his brother, he now must bow to in connection to his wife. He had to take the elder Leah before he could have the younger Rachel. So finally what happens? I've got to wrap this up. What happens when we fail to trust God? What happens when we will not wait on God? You see, it was because Jacob refused to wait on God and God's timing and God's fulfillment of His promises that He had involved Himself in so much trouble. You see, he wouldn't wait on God and let God fulfill his promise. And that's the reason he had to flee from his brother Esau. You see, that covenant God made with Abraham was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It wasn't Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But he could not see that because he was impatient. And he didn't want to wait. And so now, because he didn't wait, he had to, to work, my Bible says, for seven years to have his wife Rachel. And because of being deceived, he had to work another seven years after he married her. Now, I don't know about y'all. I, I, I'm, not, I'm trying to do Aggie math, but that's 14 years. 14 years. Oh, she must have been drop dead gorgeous, Roy. Man, if you're going to work for her for 14 years, whoo, she must have been a hottie. I'm here to tell you. But, folks, this is what I want you to see. We have to wait on God, we have to trust to follow God, His ways. His will. Because if we don't, we find ourselves with all sorts of issues and all sorts of problems just like Jacob did. And I want to prove that to you here just real quick. You remember this guy in the book of Genesis by the name of Moses? You remember Moses? He got impatient. He didn't wait on God and what did he wind up doing? He wound up killing a man. And because he killed that man, he went out in the Median desert for 40 years and labored for his father-in-law. 40 years because he failed to wait on God. Later on in his life, after he was leading those Israelites and they got over there to the promised land, you remember they all were hot and thirsty? And God told him, you take that staff and you rear back and you hit that rock. But you don't hit that rock. You hit it three times what he did. Or no, you hit it once and he hit it three times, I think. 
because he didn't want to wait on God. He wasn't patient. And what did that cost him? He never got to go into the promise. God took him up there on that high mountain and said, look at there. There it is. You could have had it. But you lost your patience. So you don't get to go. Folks, we walk by sight, not by faith. And that's what gets us in trouble. We need to understand that God's delays are not God's denials. God's delays is not God saying no. It's telling us, wait a minute. Just wait a minute. And nine times out of ten, the way, the reason that He is denying us, the reason that He wants us to hold on is because He wants to bring us something that is so much better than what we were thinking about. So we wait on God, we trust in God because He's reliable. We wait on God, we trust in God because He's trustworthy. And lastly, we wait on Him and trust Him because He's faithful. He doesn't make a promise. He doesn't keep. And when we wait on God, that's where we hit the mother load. That's where we hit the jackpot. That's where the payoff is because we're right where we need to be, right where God wants us to be. Let's pray together. Father God, we just thank You for this time that we've had today here in Your house, Father, hearing Your Word proclaimed. Father, I just thank You for all the blessings that You give us. And Father, of all the things You could give us, maybe we need to be praying for patience and trust in You. Father, we just pray that You continue to watch over us in this very challenging time that we live in. Father, that You guide and direct each step that we take. That You forgive us where we fail You. And Father, we need to pray for the blessing of rain that we desperately need that only You can provide. Father, we've talked about some situations today where Your intervention is certainly needed. We've got wildfires raging. We've got situations all across this, this land and abroad, Father. A lot of suffering, a lot of agony, a lot of hurt. And we ask that you just be with those people in their time of need. All the folks that we have on our prayer list, we just ask that you be with them in time of need. Certainly be with the ones that are not with us today. So Father, as we leave this place, we just thank you for your love, your mercy, your grace. And we just ask that you bring us back at the next appointed hour. In your son's name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles today, and I hope you do, let's turn to 1 Kings, the 17th chapter. 1 Kings, the 17th chapter. Now, while you are turning there, uh, and I'll make my mind up where we're going to begin here in a minute, but I want to ask you a question. I wonder if there is anyone here 
that ever seems like that bad things are always happening. No matter what happens, if something bad's going to happen, it's going to happen to me. You know, it, it, it's like, it seems like that we're always getting the short end of the stick. We're always getting the short end of things. But then, when we really think about it, all of the stuff that we go through, all the bad stuff that we go through, and we really think about it, I think, however, we have to come to the conclusion that right there with us, all through our trials, we have learned that God is always right there. He's always right there. Now, don't be cheating and peeking and reading ahead now because I want to keep you all in suspense a little bit today. Now, when I say God is always with us right there, in other words, God is always holding us up. God is always helping us out. He's always uh, there in the rough spots and, and giving us the strength that we need to make it through. Because, you know, and, and we're going to see this in this neat little story we're going to look at today. Just whenever things have gotten really, really bad, and we have tied that knot in the end of that proverbial rope, and we're hanging on, maybe we're hanging on by a thread, and we tell ourselves there ain't no way Things can get any worse, and then it does. Something else happens. And that's what we're going to see in this story today. When, when it looks like that we've been through enough, and then something else happens. And I want to introduce you to a woman today in, in 1 Kings, the 17th chapter, and we don't know what her name is because the Bible doesn't tell us. But this woman has a moment where things are not going so well. But what's good about the situation is she has got a prophet of God with her through everything she is going through. Taking care of her. Taking care of her son day by day, but then in the midst of everything, when everything seems like it is turned around, something else happens. Something else transpires. So, let's look in 1 Kings, the 17th chapter. Let's begin reading in verse 1. Everyone there? Amen? And Elijah the Tishbit, Tishbite, who was, was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, King Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word, or except at my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, Elijah, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Sheriff, 
that it be, that is before Jordan. And it shall be, thy shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according unto the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Sherith, that is before Jordan, and the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came unto him, Elijah, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarphath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. That sustain thee is provide for. Provide for you there. Now, I want you to keep your Bibles open and don't be peeking and cheating and reading ahead. And, and we're going to be looking at some other stuff here in a minute. Let me visit with you today about just hold on. Just hold on. Now, in the beginning of this set scene, Elijah the prophet of God was sent to King Ahab to tell him that Israel was going to be punished because of their great wickedness. Through the leadership and influence of King Ahab, as well as his wicked wife Jezebel, Israel had started worshiping Baal, and they had also started worshiping other heathen gods. And because of that, God said he was going to stop the rain, and he did for three and a half years. Now, folks, I know that we're dry, but I don't think it's been three and a half years yet. I, I, I remember 2011. I didn't think it was ever going to rain again. About ruined me and Lori. I wasn't around Joe in the 50s. So I, 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 can't, I can't remember the 50s, but I know Elmer Kelton wrote a book that, that was entitled The Year It Didn't Rain or The Time It Didn't Rain, whatever it was. I, I was told a story one time about two guys here in Melvin. I'm not going to tell you who told me this story. But two guys here in Melvin, and during the 50s drought, one of them looked at the other and said, I'll bet you $100 it never rains again. And he said, well, I'll take that bet because it's going to rain someday. And, and he tried to tell his buddies, he said, you know, after three years, I thought I was going to have to go pay him off. <laughs> but it was bad. So we can kind of relate to what we see in this little story here in this, in, that we're talking about today. Now, after a couple of months, King Ahab issued a decree. And he said, anyone caught watering their lawns, anyone caught washing their chariot was going to be punished accordingly. After a couple of more months of dry weather, he said, no one can wash your clothes anymore and no one can take a shower. Or you will be punished accordingly. And after three years it was even difficult to find drinking water. So the record is that Ahab and his wife Jezebel 
because of their wickedness, they didn't take too kindly to what Elijah told them. They didn't like hearing that it was going to be three and a half years and there wasn't going to be any rain. And whenever he first told them that, they probably just kind of dismissed him and thought, oh, here's another one of these religious gurus. Here's another one of these Jesus freaks. Here's another one of them holy rollers. He's a nutcase. They didn't think he was serious. But as time went by and the rain didn't fall and things started to get serious, so now they're thinking, well, maybe this guy wasn't so crazy after all. Maybe he knew what he had was talking about and they're getting a search party together and they're sending out a search party and they want to find Elijah and they want to kill him. That's how bad it was. So what I have learned, and, and we see and we read that, that because of that, that God protected Elijah by hiding him by this brook there at Sheriff. But I want to point something out here real quickly, and this is the first thing that I learned. When you are put on assignment for God, when you are doing what God tells you to do, you don't have to fear because God is going to protect you. God is going to take care of you. And I don't care if your enemy is out going to hurt you or trying to do harm to you or even kill you. God will protect you in your time of trouble. So look at what God was doing for this man of God. Ahab and Jezebel wanted to kill him. So he tells him, he says, I want you to go down and hide by this brook, Sheriff. And, and, and that was just a watering hole. It was a stream. It was a place that had water while everybody else was struggling to find water. And, and, and he said, I'm going to take care of you because I'm going to send ravens to feed you. Now, you have to understand, ravens in the Bible were considered a bird of bad luck. But here we see God was using them as a waiter if you will, for Elijah. And so now after months and months and months, there's no rain and this brook begins to dry up. God tells Elijah, it's time for you to get up and go somewhere else. We saw that in verse 9, the last verse that we read. He says, the Lord, it says that the word of the Lord came to Elijah and he told him, I want you to get up and I want you to go to Zarphath. Now that probably seemed like one of those good news, bad news kind of jokes to Elijah. The good news was God told him to get up and leave. God told him to get up and go. I want you to go to Zarphath. But the bad news was that when he told him that, Zarphath, you see, he told him in verse 9, go to Zarphath, which belongs to Zidon, and dwell there. Now I'll explain why here in just a second. I don't know how much Elijah knew about geography. He might not have even heard of this Zarphath ever before in his life. And, and the thing about Zarphath was it was a small town, if you will. I, I mean, it's kind of like Melvin, maybe even smaller. But, but it was along the Mediterranean coast in the land of Phoenicia. And 
Elijah might not have ever heard of Zarphath, but you can bet your bottom dollar that he knew where Sidon was. You know why he knew where Sidon was? Because that was Jezebel's hometown. That's where she grew up. So he had heard of that place. This was, uh, uh, Sidon was the capital of Phoenicia. And it was the center of idol worship at this time that we're talking about. Now, we have to ask ourselves a question here. Why in the world would God tell Elijah to go to Zarphath, a a suburb of Sidon? It, It didn't make any sense. And I'm sure if God was talking to us and telling us this, and probably uh, Elijah's line of thinking was, he had some questions that he wanted to ask of God. And, and I mean, you know, you think about it, he probably was saying something along the lines, Lord, are you sure you know what you're doing here? You sure this is where you want me to go? You realize this is the camp of my enemies. This is the camp of people that don't like me. This is the place where people are looking to destroy me. You know, this Jezebel gal, she's ready to scalp me. She thought I was a nutcase and all I did was tell her the truth, what you told me to tell her, and now she's mad and she wants me gone. Brothers and sisters, We might be very nonchalant about this. We might be very unexcited. We might be acting really cool about this. But some of us, you think about this, some of us would be asking questions of God. What if God told you, I want you to get up and I want you to go out in the middle of nowhere and testify for me? Now you think about that. Where people want to kill you. How are you going to respond? Are you just going to go, oh yeah, fine, okay, I'll go. No big deal. No. We're going to probably be, now wait a minute. Can we at least talk about this for a minute? Let's let's really think about this. And see what happens. And, you know, I'm sure Elijah was saying, why are you sending me there in the midst of all that chaos? You know, some of us would, would have to ask questions like, Lord, why would you send me to a place where people are trying to kill me? People are trying to destroy me for what you told me to do. I want to put myself in Elijah's shoes for just a second. And I want to speak for myself. You know, if this was me, I would be saying, you know, Lord, you gave me instructions on how I should live, how I should teach, how I should preach. And and you gave me my directives from the book, which we call the Bible. Why would you send me to a place my enemies are lurking for me? That makes absolutely no sense. I don't know about y'all this evening, but I have been some places that I feel like the Lord sent me, and when I got there, I was like, good grief, what am I doing here? 
Why in the world did you put me in this situation? But I can hear Elijah saying, why in the world? Why in the world are you sending me to the shadows of, the, of Jezebel's hometown? Because, you know, I was down there by that brook and that was a really good hiding place. I felt really safe there. You know, when he was there, he probably knew every inch of the terrain. And if King Ahab came along or, or his gurus and tried to kill him, he knew how he could escape. He could go up in the mountains. He could go hide in a canyon. He, he knew the area very well. But Zarphath? Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. You're a stranger in a small town. You stick out like a sore thumb. And everybody wants to know who you are and what you're doing there. You know? Hey, did y'all hear old, the old so-and-so place sold? Who, who do y'all think bought it? Well, I don't know. I haven't been down there. Well, why don't you go see? No, I'm not going to go. You go see. And that's the way Elijah was in Zarphath. He's like, I'm a stranger there. Everyone would know I was a stranger there. And if I introduce myself, they're going to know who I am. And I'm in danger of being arrested. In fact, some of them could be relatives of Jezebel living there. And they may try to kill me. But I can hear God saying to him, just hold on. You just hold on, Elijah. You do what I told you to do. I can hear God say, I will not leave you. I will fight your battle for you if you trust me. You just got to trust me. I can hear God saying, I am that I am, and I have all power, and I will deliver you no matter what happens, but you've got to trust me. And then he told Elijah something else. He said, come here, I want to tell you something. I want to whisper in your ear, so to speak. He said, when you get there, I have commanded a widow to take care of you, to provide for you. In other words, by the way, Elijah, I have arranged your room and board. You don't need to worry about a thing. I picked out this poor woman who's about to starve to death herself, but she's going to take care of you. And Elijah's thinking to himself the whole time, if Zarphath don't make any sense, then I'm going to be at a poor widow's house that even makes less sense to me. What in the world is going on here, God? But you know what Paul said about this situation in 1 Corinthians 1.29? He says this, because God often chooses foolish things and weak things and despise things to accomplish His will. So Paul says at this rate, he says that no flesh should glory in His presence. In other words, God never wants us to forget 
that in every situation in life, He's going to take care of us. No matter what it is, He's going to take care of us. All right, let's go back to, to, to our text. Go, go look in verse uh, 10. 17.10, y'all there, amen? So he arose and went to Zarphath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks, and he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thy hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruise. Y'all know what a cruise is. It's a jar, a pitcher. And behold, I am gathering two sticks. Did you get that? Two sticks that I may go in and dress it or prepare it for me and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first and bring it unto me and after make for thee and for thy son. Now I want you to understand what this entails from him getting from that brook where God's protecting him to Zarephath. He had to travel approximately a hundred miles. Now I, I know it doesn't say that in what we read, but in my studies I, I found that out. About a hundred miles. So Elijah would have plenty of time in that hundred miles to see the effects of this three and a half year drought. And as he was traveling along, I'm sure he went by, by this real nice house. And he probably said to himself, why didn't he put me there? Or why didn't he put me in this house over here? rather than the house of a poor Gentile widow woman in Zarphath. Now I want to show you something here real quick. I want you to flip over to the Gospel of Luke, the 14th chapter. I mean the 4th chapter, I'm sorry. Luke, the 4th chapter. I want to show you just how intense this episode was. I want you to look in the fourth chapter, verse 25. Now, I, I'm going to kind of paraphrase this. Y'all read 25, 26, 27, 28. This is God speaking. And he mentions this story. He's talking to those in the synagogue in Nazareth. Basically, he says this. But I tell you the truth. In Israel, in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up for three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout the land, but to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarphath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. In fact, when Jesus finished this short story that, that he was given to his friends and neighbors, Luke tells us, go on and read 28 and 29, that they were filled with wrath. They were filled with anger and hatred and bitterness. And the Bible says that they rose up and did what? Thrust him out of the city, led him to the brow of the hill 
that the city was built on that they might throw him over the cliff. Did y'all see that? They're mad. Would you agree? Now you can go back to 1 Kings, but keep this in mind. The reason I pointed that out to you is this. This seems to be an awful strong reaction, don't you think? To, to a sermon about Elijah and a woman, a widow. Why would a simple story about Elijah stir up so much animosity? Have you ever thought about that? Well, because what Jesus was really saying is that God has sometimes found greater faith among the heathen Gentiles than He found in His own people. And let me tell you something, that was the wrong thing for Jesus to stay in mixed company. They were ticked. I mean, that was an insult to the Jews who considered the Gentiles to be nothing more than fuel for the fires of hell. That's how intense this was. You, you say, well, what's the big deal about that? Okay, let's just bring another point. How many of y'all remember the story of Jonah? Do I need to get my sermons out, my series out? You remember? What, what was Jonah so upset about? That's right. And who were they? They were Gentiles. You remember? He got all mad. Matter of fact, he told God, he said, I'll tell you one thing, old boy, I ain't going to do it. Y'all ever told God I ain't going to do it? I can tell you one thing, God can get your undivided attention. I think he got Jonah's undivided attention. My Bible tells me that he went overboard and this big old fish ate him. Didn't he? So you see, that's the reason why this little story of Jesus caused so much animosity. Now, how do you think Elijah felt? I want you to think about this. He was asked by God to be totally dependent on the Gentile resident in a pagan area. That's what God tells him. Now let's take that about ten steps further. Not just a Gentile, but a woman. Not just a woman, but a widow. Not just a widow, not just any widow, but a destitute, poor, broke widow. And I'm sure Elijah was saying, Lord, can I at least stay with one that's got a little money? Is that too much to ask? So we see, he does what God tells him, and it says that when he approaches the gates of the city, he sees this woman, this widow woman, out gathering sticks, and she says, I'm going to pick up a couple of sticks, I'm going to cook my last meal, me and my son, and we're going to eat it, and then we're going to die. 
Evidently, she was already starving. Because this was the last meal that she had in her house. And she was going to prepare that meal and then die. So look what Elijah says. He says, just hold on. Just hold on. And it almost looks like what he is asking is very cruel. He says, before you cook that for you, I want you to cook me a little cake first and bring it to me. And then what's left over, you cook for yourself and your son. In other words, he's saying, I want your last bit of food. Give it to me, and then you can have what's left over. It sounds cruel. But yet, Elijah was telling this woman exactly what God had told him to say. This is what God wanted him to do. God told him to go to Zarphath, and this woman there would provide for you. You see, he promised to meet Elijah's needs. So, so that's why Elijah made this request of this woman. He was confident in the fact that God was going to keep his word and not only take care of him, but take care of her as well. Now, you have to understand a little thing or two about this woman. First off, she was young. She had one child. That child was small. She had a very tragic life because undoubtedly her husband had died at an early age. She was down to her last little bit of cornmeal and she also had a little bit of olive oil. That's what she had between her and absolutely nothing. And she was going to prepare this little pancake, if you will, out of it, this, this cornmeal, cook it, eat it, and then die. That was her plan. She had just enough to prepare this one little pancake. And once she does that, there's nothing left. It's all gone. But when she prepared it, and Elijah sat down and ate it, there was enough to go around for all of them. And just think about this. The next day, she went and she looked in that same container, and there was some more meal, cornmeal. And she looked in that jar... And there was some more oil. And I'm sure she was thinking to herself, I gotta be losing my mind. I know I, I, did, I poured it all out yesterday. Christy, it's kind of like, Curtis, honey, could you run to the store and get me a bottle of olive oil? I just poured the last of it out. So Curtis goes and gets it, comes back, he's, Christy, honey, there's a whole bottle laying on the shelf here. What, what did I go to? And you're thinking to yourself, I know I used it all. I'm not crazy. But that's what she's thinking. 
She's thinking that she used it all yesterday. It's gone. So she, what does she do? She just does the same process again. And she makes this little pancake. And the three of them make. And day by day, day by day, day by day, God continued to care for them. Two years. Two years. Now you talk about getting tired of eating cornmeal and olive oil. Two years of it. I mean, that's about... Honey, don't you think you could get a little creative here? But God provided for them. Alright, let's go on. We've got to read some more. Hold on. Hold on. Look in verse 14. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days, and the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake to Elijah. Now don't be peeking ahead. They were fed day by day. Because that's what God had promised them. It will not run out. There will always be some more in there. Until the day that the Lord sends rain. So God was taken care of. You see, God has a way of taking care of us. No matter what situation we're in, God has a way of taking care of us. Just like he's always taking care of his people. This is the way Paul, Paul put it in Philippians 4.19. He says that we don't have to worry because my God shall supply your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. So throughout this time of drought, when everyone around them was struggling, Elijah this widow and her son continued to have their needs met by God. Now, don't, don't misunderstand me. It wasn't a feast. They wasn't eating ribeye steaks and baked taters. But it was food that God was providing. And He was taking care of them. But, oh boy, y'all saw that coming, didn't you? Y'all was thinking He's about done. Now we're getting to the really good part. But, just when they think nothing else can happen, it's as bad as it can get. I'm down to my very last, and God's providing, so maybe we're okay now. I want you to look in verse 17. Suddenly, something happened that took both this widow and Elijah by surprise. The Bible says, Now it happened after these things that the son of the woman, woman who owned the house became sick. And his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. Don't be reading ahead again. 
I'm trying to keep y'all in suspense. Look at here. Here we thought it can't get any worse. And what's Elijah find himself in? Another crisis. Something else has happened. You know, how many of you has had bad things start happening and it seems like the old proverbial domino effect? It's just one thing after another after another and you finally go, what else could possibly go wrong? And I'm sure that's the way Elijah was feeling. You know what I'm talking about? You've been there, you've done that. So we see Elijah is confronted with this great tragedy. And I can just imagine him saying, you know, I can almost see Elijah standing there and he's shaking his fist at God and he's going, what in the world is going on here? Haven't I done everything you asked me to do? I got up from where I was in my little, nice little protective area and you sent me out in the middle of God forsaken nowhere. I did exactly what you told me to do when you told me to do it. And now this happened. How dare you? Okay, maybe that was a little dramatic. But you think about this. Elijah's hurt. This widow. I'm sure she's beyond hurt. And this child is dead. But here's what I want you to see. Even in this bad situation, even in the middle of this terrible circumstance, where is God? Right in the big middle of it. Now I want you to keep in mind prior to this no one has ever been raised from the dead. It had never happened. No one had ever had any hope of being raised from the dead. And I want you to think about this as well. For this woman this would even be a more traumatic situation because she had no relatives to take care of her. She had no friends uh, anywhere and her entire life was probably wrapped up in this one child, this one son. And now he's dead. Now I want you to look in verse 18. If you hadn't already cheated and peaked, look what her response is. This widow began lashing out at Elijah. She says to Elijah, What have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? In essence, she's saying, Elijah, it's all your stinking fault. If you hadn't showed up, this wouldn't have ever happened to begin with. Oh my, how quickly we forget. You see, she's lashing out. She's blaming Elijah, blaming God. But how quickly she had forgotten that it was Elijah and his God that had provided for her and her son. For months and months, 
during this drought. So Elijah says, you just hang on a minute. You just hold on. Give me your son. And she takes him out of his arms. And it says, takes him up to the upper room where he stayed. Laid him in bed. And the Bible says, Elijah prayed. Lord, thou hast brought evil on this woman with whom I lodge by killing her son. Maybe a better translation of saying that would be, Lord, why are you breaking this woman into pieces? She hasn't done anything to deserve this. She's been taking care of me. And the first thing I needed Monday morning was for this to happen. So the Bible says he laid him in the bed and he stretched himself out on top of this child three times. And he cried and said, Lord, I pray let this child's soul come back to him. And the Bible says the Lord heard his voice and the soul of the child came back and he revived. That boy was raised from the dead. And Elijah took that boy down and brought him back to his mother. I'm sure that little boy was crying. I'm sure that mother was crying because she had just seen that boy leave and he was dead. And now she's got tears running down her face with her tears of joy because her son's alive. Look what it says in verse 23. The last part of verse 23, Elijah says, See, your son lives. I told you just hang on. I told you just hold on. And she responded by saying what? Now by this I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. So I stopped by this evening to just tell you. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how bad the situation looks. It doesn't matter how bad the situation is going. Just hold on. Just hold on and trust God and watch how He can work. Just let Him do His thing. Just hold on. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank You for this time we've had today, Father, to spend in Your Word, to hear Your Word proclaimed. And Father, we can relate to this story. We're in a time of drought ourselves. And we just pray that You relieve this drought as only You can. Because no one else can send the rain but You. 
Father, thank You for blessing us, Father. Thank You for these folks here today. And I just pray that You will continue to watch over us, Father, in this very challenging time that we live in. Father, just forgive us where we fail You. And just help us to do better next time. Father, a lot of bad things going on in this old world that we live in. And we just ask that You be involved in those situations the same as You was involved in this little story that we've looked at today. Father, all the people that are suffering, that are hurting, in agony, whatever situation is going on, just wrap them in Your loving arms and let them know to just hang on. Just hold on. Just trust in You because You're there with them. Father, just watch over us and care for us. Bring us back at the next appointed hour. In Your Son's name we pray. Amen.